Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Welcome to another edition of our Tuesday live streams. For those of you who have not been on in the past or are new to the Agent Investor Facebook group, uh, we do these live streams every single Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. So I try to prepare content based on the feedback that I get in the group, what types of questions I'm getting during the week, and what I feel can help propel all of the agents that follow me follow the Facebook group to achieve financial freedom through investing in real estate. And for those of you who have been paying attention, we are the only brand out there, the agent investor brand that is focused on helping agents achieve financial freedom through investing in real estate. If you're new to the group, my name is Tom Caffarella. I'm the uh, owner of the group, the owner of the brand. And, um, you know, I was a real estate agent probably like all of you are today. I'm now a broker owner with over 350 agents in my real estate brokerage. But my main thing was when I started out as a real estate agent, um, you know, my income was always up and down and up and down on what, you know, I call today the real estate roller coaster. And it wasn't until I started investing in real estate that my, you know, financial picture changed. I got into real estate for financial freedom, but I didn't get that until I actually started investing in real estate. And fast forward 15 years, I fixed and flipped over 1,200 homes, have built in over 300 unit rental property portfolio, and building a couple hundred apartment units for passive income, have raised nearly $20 million of, um, of money to put into our apartment deals. And in general, just have been kind of screaming from the top of my lungs that while sales will make you a living, investing will make you wealthy. Again, I'm a broker owner. I love sales. I think sales are a great thing, but I strongly encourage every agent to make sure that they're at least doing some investing. Okay. So every Tuesday at 11, we do a different topic. Today's topic and what I'm going to share with everybody today is our deal analysis system, our deal analysis process that we have within our company. Before I get into the actual process, I want to just talk really quickly about why we have systems and why we have processes. Uh, at the end of the day, in order to have a thriving business, in order to be, to be able to leverage yourself and to have a business and not just a high-paying job, you need systems in your business that you follow you know, the same each and every time. At the end of the day, you want predictable results in your business. And the only way that you can get there is by having processes, is by having systems. And by having a system, if you follow it, you're going to get predictable results. But having systems also allows you to hire other people into your business in order to be able to get more of your time back so that you can spend time on the 20% of things that produce 80% of the results. It's how everybody who's ever built a significant business or achieved financial freedom has done it. And when I first started this deal analysis process, this process that I'm going to share with you today is something that I first followed myself. Okay, This is what I did myself when I was analyzing whether something was a good deal. Uh, I eventually had a virtual assistant take over this process and eventually hired a full-time U.S.-based person. Now, this deal analysis system that I'm going to share with you today, if you're an inner circle member, we will actually do all of this work for you. So while I think it's great to know how to analyze deals on your own, if you are an inner circle member, we will actually do all of this work for you. So if you're an inner circle member, you never have to say ever again, gee, I wonder if this is a good deal or not, because our team will actually do this work for you. And we'll have a conversation with you on whether or not we believe it's a good deal. Okay. So multiple people that are in the inner circle program submit deals to us each and every week. We have a 24 hour turnaround time where we will shoot back to you what we think the value of the property is. 
what we think it will be worth fixed up, whether or not we think it's a good opportunity. And for those of you who are looking to partner with us that are in the inner circle, whether or not it's a deal that we would potentially partner with you on. So if you have not yet set up a time to talk about joining the inner circle, you can do that at any point at www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. Once you click that link at www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com, you will see my calendar and you'll be able to pick a day and a time for us to talk. Um, we use that time to give you a free strategy session to talk about how we can actually help you. And then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about whether or not the inner circle is a good fit for both parties. Um, we get multiple people that sign up for these calls every single week. And if you're interested, again, www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. And again, the last thing I want to talk about really quickly before I jump into this is just that the system we're going to teach today is just one of the systems that are in our business that we're going to be teaching and training on at the two-day event that we're having coming up on April 12th and April 13th. If you have not registered for the event, we only have room for 250 agents. We're very close to capacity at this point. If you have not registered, please go to www.agentinvestorevent.com. It's a free event. Not only is it a free event, but you're also going to have the opportunity to win a free, all-inclusive, two-person trip to Aruba just by bringing a guest. Now, you don't need to bring a guest to the event to come to the event, but if you know another agent who could benefit from investing in real estate, who you feel like it could open their eyes or help them on the right path, help us help you and potentially win a trip to Aruba by going to www.agentinvestorevent.com. All right. With all that said, let's jump into it. Okay. So let's just kind of set the stage as to why we even need this process to begin. At the end of the day, my company does a few different things, right? We have a real estate brokerage where we have over 350 agents. Our focus is, is on helping agents achieve financial freedom through investing in real estate. That's one way that our company makes money. Second way that our company makes money is by owning passive income assets, like the apartment buildings that we own, like the small multifamilies that we own. But the third way that we make money, and probably the, the way that most people kind of know about us, is through our company, Ocean City Development, that fixes and flips and wholesales properties, okay? In order to have a successful fix and flip and wholesale type operation, one of the most important things that you need to be able to do is to actually analyze whether or not a property is a good deal, right? If you don't know whether something's a good deal or you make the unfortunate miscalculation, you run the risk of losing money, right? And I see this all the time where somebody will bring a deal to me and they will be ultra, ultra aggressive or maybe, you know, half, uh, you know, glass half fullish on the number that the property is going to sell for or what we call the after repair value. And it's very easy to make a mistake on the after repair value in our market. Okay. So I know the agent investor is a national brand, but I do all of my business in New England. It's a lot easier to calculate the after repair value in an area in the United States where maybe the entire um, subdivision is all the same type of house, right? There are areas in the country where you could go and you could you could have a property that you're analyzing and you could find two or three or four single family properties that sold in that area in the last six months that have the exact same specifications. But that's not New England and that's not most of the United States. In fact, New England has probably the hardest, the, the hardest properties to comp, right? Because New England started being developed in the 1600s. Think about that for a second, right? So there's a big difference. If you're in a town like Salem, Massachusetts, my brother-in-law lives in Salem, Massachusetts. His house was built in the 1700s. It's a lot harder to find a comp on a street that has a house built in the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s. Think about how different those time periods are. The styles were, the perception of the buyer buying the property. So we really need to get very good and have a system in order to calculate the after repair value in the New England area 
or else we're going to make a mistake. And like I said, the biggest mistake that people tend to make is they tend to justify a deal based on a comp that they find that you could kind of make a little bit of an argument that it might be the right comp, but it's an aggressive comp and it's really a better comp. It's a better house than what your subject property is, but you can kind of justify a purchase because it's easy to make a mistake, like I said, especially again in New England. So our purpose today is to help you avoid making those mistakes because as Warren Buffett says, the first rule of investing is to not lose money. The second rule is to it is to repeat the first rule, right? Just never lose money. So I have what I've created. So this deal analysis process that I have hit up here on the screen is something that I created. This was a process. This was a system that I created. It's a system that I followed. It's also a system that um, my virtual assistants followed. And it's now a process that now my full-time um, American staff member follows. I am going to walk you all through it. And I will say, you know, that as much as I want to be able to teach you guys, you know, everything that I know about this process today, this is something that we developed over the course of literally 10 years. When you are out there and you're generating opportunities, you're generating leads. Again, we're talking about like fixing and flipping homes, um, wholesaling homes, or trying to buy small multifamily deals at a discount. You're going to be out there and you're going to be doing things to generate opportunities. You're going to try to generate face-to-face -face seller appointments by mailing or calling or texting or door knocking or referrals through your SOI. And the first thing I always want to look at is whether or not something can even be an investment deal. Okay. Most of the time, these things can't even be investment deals. And I'm going to tell you why. All of these things need to be met in order for this to even be a house that you could potentially even buy at a discount. Okay. Most properties, like if you go around and you randomly door knock in a neighborhood, most of those properties can't even sell to you at a discount. You can't even get a deal on them because of the following reasons. So the first thing we look at is the mortgage balance divided by the Zillow value. Okay. Why do we care about that? Okay. We care because if somebody doesn't have enough equity in their home to sell to you at a little bit of a discount, you're dead in the water. Like you wasted your time knocking on that door, mailing that person, calling that person. If you're trying just to get an investment deal. Now, of course, we all know we're agents, right? We're agent investors. We can always take these as listings, but they can't be investment deals if the mortgage balance divided by Zillow is greater than 80%, right? So let me just give you a quick example. If the value of the home is $500,000, if the Zillow value is $500,000 and the mortgage balance is 400, 420, 430, the mortgage balance is too high. There's not enough equity in that deal to even consider that to be an investment deal. The second thing we look at is whether the home was built prior to 1980. And this is a more New England based thing, but just so keep that in mind, it is very, very challenging. I can count on one hand out of the 1,200 investment deals I've done, I can count on one hand the amount of properties we bought that were built after 1980. Very, very rare to be able to get a deal on something that was built after 1980, okay? The third thing is it's very, very, very challenging to get a deal on a home that was purchased in the last five years. Like if somebody bought a home last year, they're probably not going to take a discount on it this year. Um, the fourth thing that we look at is property history or prior pictures, right? So we look to see whether or not the property is in good condition or not. We look at the Google Street scene. We try to look for prior uh, pictures in, in property history in the MLS to see, hey, what does this property look like? Because again, if a property is eight out, of nine, eight out of 10 condition, a nine out of 10 condition, a 10 out of 10 condition, the odds statistically that that person is going to sell to you as an investment deal are very, very low. Okay. So the second thing we're going to look at and talk about is just that we can't analyze every single deal the same way. We can't get an ARV for different types of properties in the same way. There is a Big, big difference between how I analyze 
a small multifamily, a single family, a condo, or a townhouse. So let me just start out with the easy ones for right now. Condos are a lot easier to comp. The first thing we're going to try to do when we're seeing the after repair value of a condo in a condo association is we're going to look first and foremost to find another condo in that condo association. Sounds really easy, right? It is really easy. Condos that are in condo complexes are very, very easy to comp. So I am going to look if there is 50 condos in a condo complex or 100 or 20. The only thing I'm really going to look at is a condo in that condo complex. I am not going to try to use a condo in another condo complex because condo complexes can be very different one for another, right? The amenities that they have, the locations, the rules, everything. So condos are really easy. We're going to look for a condo in that condo complex. And I am willing to go back further in time than I normally would on a condo in a condo complex because I need a condo in that condo complex in order to do that comp. Meaning that typically I may only go back six to nine months in time for a condo on a single family, but I might even be willing to go back two years on a condo in a condo complex because that is gonna be much more of a apples to apples comp. And I should say this right now, what are we looking to do with all of this stuff? We're looking to finding apples to apples comp. And where people screw up commonly are that they're, they're comparing apples and oranges, right? It's really easy to say, oh, there's a condo, there's a comp in this condo complex for 250, but there's another one in another condo complex that seems similar for 280. And then you use the 280 comp to justify a purchase that doesn't really make sense. Okay. So condos and condo complexes and townhouses are very similar in that in that nature. Like it's easy to find that comp. You need to use that comp. You need to use the same townhouse in the row of townhouses. You need to use the same condo in a condo complex. So that's really simple. So that's why I kind of like started with those. So the second thing I'm going to look at really quickly is single families. So there is something up there that you guys are going to see with the single families that I'm always going to look at. Um, that's kind of, you know, you have, this is an area specific type of thing, but in certain areas, single families are worth much more when you tear them down and you build up. It's very challenging to do this really well when you're buying in a lot of different areas like we do, which is one of the reasons why we had this system in place, right? So if you were going to look as an example in New England, in a town like Lexington, and you try to comp a property that's a 1,300-square-foot ranch, what you're going to see is that it's very, very challenging to buy that property at enough of a discount and actually make money. And what you'll see is that a bunch of investors are going to pay what appears to be close to market value for that ranch because they're actually going to tear it down and they're going to build on it. So the first thing that we look at, the first step that we look at on any single family is, is this an area that's a knockdown area? And it's also true in the city as well. So say, for example, you find a single family in an area that has a lot of condos in the city, like a South Boston. We're going to look and we're going to say, can you tear that thing down? Can you put up a two, two condo units? Can you put up three condo units? Okay. So that's the first thing that we look at. In most cases, most of the time when we analyze a single family, that checkbox that we're looking at is not relevant, meaning that most of the time, the highest and best use for that property is not to tear it down. But we always have to look to make sure that we don't miss something, okay? The second thing that we look at is we look at our cheat sheet. And we want to find out, so, so this is not just to get the after repair value, but the calculating offer. So the second thing that we like to look at is we like to look at the type of property and the type of reno. Okay, so if you go down on that cheat sheet, again, this is something that I created. This is an imperfect science. What I what I want you guys to do are two things as I'm going through this. First, know that if you're in the inner circle, we're going to do this for you. So you don't need to get too caught up in this. If you're not in the inner circle, you don't want to join the inner circle for whatever reason, just keep in mind that 
your market may be a little bit different. You may not like exactly how I'm doing things. So you have to kind of create something like this for yourself. Okay. So again, getting back to single families, we talked about the first um, thing that we're going to look at is, is it a knockdown? If it's not a knockdown, now we have to look at what type of single family is it. I'm going to put my cursor up and kind of highlight the part that I'm talking about right now. So it's challenging. Again, we're in a market, we're in New England, where depending on the year, there are so many different styles. And this is, again, an area where there can be a lot of mistakes made, a lot of confusion, a lot of, I don't want to say over-exaggeration, but mistakes made where you're going to think a property might be worth more than it really is, and you might pay too much. So I've organized the style of property from basically, for the most part, the least valuable to the most valuable, okay? And if you guys kind of look on that screen, you'll see that these are generalities. But in general, a bungalow is going to be worth less than a ranch, is going to be worth less than a small cape, is going to be worth less than a large cape, is going to be worth less than a bigger colonial or gambrel, and is going to be worth less than a large colonial or a large Victorian. Okay. These are generalities. Okay. So again, I should point out that determining what to offer on a house and determining what it will sell for after the fact, it is a combination of a science and an art. Okay. So what we have up here on the screen is the science, right? But we also know that it's partly an art too. And that's, again, one of the benefits of being on the inner circle is that you always get a second opinion, right? So if we've fixed and flipped 1,200 homes and we're going on 100 appointments a week, that's 100 properties times 50 weeks. That's 5,000 properties we're looking at per week over the course of a 10-year period. That's 50,000 homes that we've analyzed. So where I say it's an art, is that this is not an algorithm, right? This is not, you know, chat GPT. This is not artificial intelligence. There requires a human to have some input here. So as you're seeing what I have up here on the screen, which is that I believe that in general, bungalows are worth less than, less than ranch, less than small capes, lar less than large capes, less than bigger colonials or gambrels, less than large colonials and Victorians. There is someone out there that's been in real estate for long enough that knows that there are some exceptions to these rules. But if I have a bungalow um, that's got kind of a funky layout and I see it's got like 700 or 800 square feet or 900 square feet, I don't want to compare that to a larger or, or a larger cape that even has maybe the same square footage because I know in general the layout's going to be a little bit worse. Um, the feel of the home is going to be a little bit worse. Maybe even the craftsmanship is going to be a little bit worse. So again, talking about trying to find apples to apples comparisons, in an ideal world, if your subject home that you're analyzing is a bungalow, in an ideal world, you're going to find another bungalow. But here's where it's challenging in an area like New England. A lot of times we have to kind of make exceptions. So we may have to compare a bungalow to a ranch, right? But if I'm doing that and my subject property is a bungalow, in my mind, I'm going to make that a little bit of an adjustment down on the ARV, okay? So, you know, getting back to this top here um, where we're talking about the cheat sheet, we're looking at the style of the home. And then with the apples to apples comparison, as we go down to E and F and G, and H and I and J, in an ideal world, E, F, G, H, I, and J are all going to be the ideal thing. I'm going to talk about the ideal and, and what's reality, right? In an ideal world, we're always going to compare in F the same bed count, right? We're always going to compare the same bath count. We're always going to compare the same year built. We're always going to compare the same square footage. We're, all, we're always going to get a radius of maybe a quarter mile or less. So where this is a little bit of an art, and I'm going to talk you guys through this, is that you're almost always in New England going to have to make exceptions. And even in other parts of the country, a lot of times, these exceptions are always going to be true. So I'm going to give you guys just some examples. I'm going to talk about F, G, H, I, and J really quick. 
So let's talk about bed count, right? The less the amount of beds, the more, the less you can have a variance. Um, and I and I didn't say that very well. I didn't say that very eloquently. So let me walk you through it. If you have a one bedroom home, you can never compare it to a two bedroom. If you have a two bedroom home, you can never compare it to a three bedroom. If you have a three bedroom home, you can maybe kind of make an exception to compare it to a four bedroom. If you have a four bedroom home, you're probably fine comparing it to a five bedroom. If you have a five bedroom home, you can definitely compare it to a six bedroom. If you have a six bedroom home, you can definitely compare it to a seven bedroom. So the more bedrooms that your subject property has, the more leeway there is to compare to something that's not the exact same bed count. So the rules are pretty simple. If you have zero beds, it needs to be compared to a zero bed. If you have a one bed, it needs to be compared to a one bed. A two bed needs to be compared to a two bed. A three bed can sometimes be compared to a four bed, but never a two bed. And a four bed can be compared to a five. Five can be compared to a six, right? And once you start to get above like five beds, you start to get into uh, it not mattering as much, right? Like I have four kids and we use three bedrooms in my house, right? We have six beds in my house, but we only use three, right? So having a crazy amount of bedrooms usually doesn't matter. Let's talk about bath count for a second. So it's kind of the same premise as the bed count where one bath needs to be compared to, to one bath or one and a half baths. Now, I know that that's not ideal, right? You don't really want to compare a one bath house to a one and a half bath house. But if you're making an exception, sometimes you can. Of course, just know that if you're comparing a one bed to a one and a half bed, you're going to have to discount that one bed a little bit. But I have the rules up here. So if you have a one and a half bed, you can use anything from a one bed, one bath to a one and a half bath. A two bath can be compared to a two or a two and a half. A two and a half bath can, can be compared to a two or a three. And a three bath can, can, can be compared to anything from a two and a half bath to a four bath. I know I went through that quick, but just the premise is the same, right? Where, where you have to think in your head, like once you get to a two and a half bath count, half baths or, or another full bath, it matters a lot less. Why I'm saying this, like, of course, like the rule is going to say, if you want a perfect analysis, why not compare the exact beds, the exact baths? And what I'm telling you is that in most cases, it can't be that precise because a lot of the homes are started in different periods. All right. So let's talk about year built. Year built can be a big one around here, can be a real big one. It goes without saying that most of the time, a newer home is going to be worth more money most of the time. Um, but we all know there are some exceptions to these rules in certain areas where some of the older homes can be some of the better homes. So what do we do knowing that there's no hard and fast rule? Like I live, I live in the town of Melrose. You guys probably see my Melrose sweatshirt. And the home I live in is 1880, built in 1880. In that town, people actually want the 1880 home. It's kind of a funny thing. So what do you do? Like, what do you do if you're not really sure? And the answer is you want to compare stuff to the same time frame. And so I broke it up into three different time frames. I have 1600 to 1850, right? Which I define as, you know, antique-ish older homes, right? These are the homes that they're very old, right? There can be some appeal to these houses. There are buyers that like these type of houses. But what I what you can't do, I don't care how nice you make a house, you cannot compare a house that was built in 1700 to a house that was built in 1980. So it, this is a pretty much as close to a rule as you can get. You need to compare the time frames. And I have a really wide time frame here that I like to use. Again, 1600 to 1850, that's a certain type of buyer, right? Some buyers are just not going to buy homes that old. Some, some buyers are going to really not want them. So you have to compare them. 
The next, the next year belt I have, it's another wide range, which is 1850 to 1980. In the New England area, I would call that like the vast majority of homes. 1850, 1900, 1910, 1920, you know, 1950, 1960. And I know that this is a really wide range, but I found in general that if you renovate a 1910 home and you do a really good job on it, in general, it's not going to sell more than if you renovate a 1950 home and make it really nice. Okay. So again, we need to have rules that we can follow. Um, this is an imperfect science, but this is me doing the best that I can. And then I also make another rule, which says 1980 or newer. Okay, 1980 or newer. I know 1980. I was born in 82, right? I'm 40. Um, and I know for me, 1982 doesn't seem that old, but but it, it, uh, it was 40 years ago at this point. But I do think in general, 40, 40 years ago is when I start to look at homes and say, oh, it's kind of a newer home for New England. Okay. Again, if you're not in New England, you have to make these own rules for yourself based on what the buyers in your market perceive. I know that if a house was built in 1990 in New England, in general, people are going to be like, oh, that's kind of a newer house. That is probably very different in Tampa, Florida. So just keep that in mind. Again, I want you guys to get a high level overview to think this is not for you to copy what I'm doing. I have no issue with you copy, copying what I'm doing, but you want to make these rules for yourself. Okay. So, and then square footage, square footage is something that we have to keep a pretty, you know, narrow window on. And I like to compare properties that are single families within 10% of each other. Okay. So if a property is a 2000 square foot house, I want to find a comp that's 1800 to 2200. Now, keep in mind, not all 20, uh, 2000 square foot houses are the same, but in general, I want plus or minus 10%. Now, before I continue to go on, I just want to do check in the comment section to see if anybody has any questions on anything we've covered so far. Again, if you're, if you're somewhere outside of the agent investor group, you've got to be inside the agent investor group to ask the questions in the comment section. Um, it's okay to tune in, but you won't be able to ask questions unless you're inside the agent investor Facebook group. So I'm just going to stop here just for a second. If you can give me some feedback, again, either this is making sense or you have a question, please type something into the comment section. And while I'm doing that and while I'm saying that, I just want to make sure that each and every person um, had the opportunity to register for our upcoming two-day event at www.agentinvestorevent.com. I can't stress enough, this is one of the systems we're going to be talking about at the event in more detail. We're going to be going through all of the systems that we use in our business in order to become successful agent investors. If you like what we're talking about today, we're getting into the nitty gritty a little bit. A lot of times when I teach and I train, I talk a little bit more high level. I'm not going into the system itself as much. If you like what we're talking about today, the two-day event that we have coming up on April 12th and April 13th is going to be much, much more of this, okay? So keep in mind that um, you know the upcoming event on the 12th and the 13th, it's going to be less like why you should be an investor. It's going to be less um, why it's important. It's going to be more about the nitty-gritty and the how-tos. So again, if you haven't registered yet, go to www.agentinvestorevent.com. I am going to say again, as I said in the beginning of this presentation, you need to be registered for it ASAP because there's only 250 agents that can fit in the room. Uh, even if you're with my company, you need to register because we're letting the first 200 people that register come. Um, and again, make sure that you guys bring a guest and all that kind of stuff. So the next thing I want to talk about is radius, okay? This is where this is where Zillow and Trulia and these companies tend to kind of make their biggest mistakes is in is in the radius. And this is why, you know, not to go too much on a tangent, why I don't love artificial intelligence or chat GPT or stuff like that because again, you can make as many rules as you want for this stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're going to run comps, you need a human to do it. 
you need a human or else we should just use Zillow. And by the way, I love Zillow. I think Zillow is a great tool, a great product. It's just not a great product to tell you the exact value of your home. It's a good 10 second estimator. If you only have 10 seconds to figure out the ARV of a property, Zillow is the only way you can get close. But if you're actually going to buy a home and make a, a purchasing decision, uh, this estimate is just one small data point to look at, but it's just one small data point. And, and again, the, where, where Zillow and this estimate can get screwed up is, number, is, is letter J, which is the radius. Okay, So Zillow is going to run like a formula. And I've seen Zillow pulling comps from two miles away, three miles away. I've seen Zillow pulling comps from other cities, other towns. So what we want to do when we're using, when we're starting and comping a property is we want to start off small when we're looking at a radius. And in an ideal world, like a quarter of a mile or less is ideal. A quarter of a mile or less means we're going to be in the same neighborhood, right? If you can walk there within two or three minutes, you're in the same neighborhood, okay? Now, the further you go out from that 0.25 radius, the more challenges you could have, okay? So I start off with 0.25, 0.35, a quarter of a mile, a third of a mile, hoping that there's a comp in that radius. Sometimes there is, and if there is, I'm very happy. Sometimes we have to go further out. Now, we have to go further out in a lot of cases when the when the location is more rural. So for example, if you are doing a if you're if you're running a condo in a condo complex or a condo in the city, you're not going to have to go out a mile. You're not going to have to go out a half of a mile. If you go out a mile in the city of Boston looking at condos, you're going to have 100 comps to choose from. And you're going to be in in vastly different neighborhoods if you go a mile out. However, and I'm sorry to make this too much about New England because I'm here. But if you're in a more rural area, like if you're in a Newbury or if you're in, you know, some parts of New Hampshire, you may have to go out a full mile to get a comp. OK, so the, the whole premise with looking and finding apples to apples is start small on the radius, go out if needed. OK, and it does matter in general. Um, what type of property you're comping. If you're comping a condo, you can only go like a tenth of a mile to a quarter of a mile. Whereas like if you're in a rural area, you know, you might have to go out a half a mile or a full mile, but be very careful about how far you go out. Okay. So I've talked so far about how we kind of like look at these properties. The next thing I want to look at is E. And I want to talk about data points. And this is where, again, this is an art not fully a science, because I want to look at multiple data points. Data points tell me things, okay? And when I'm looking to say, what's the after repair value? What's the property worth? I want to gather a lot of different pieces of information, and I'm going to take all of that information together to basically give me evidence of what the most likely selling uh, price of that property is. I look at all of these data points. I look at the comps, but I also look at this other stuff, okay? I'm going to look at prior MLS history, okay? The absolute best comp for a property ever is itself. I'm going to say that again. The best comp for a property is itself. How I use that is I look and I say, well, this property sold three years ago for $300,000, what does that tell me about the value of that property today? And this is just going to be a very simple statement, but it's a, it's a valuable statement. I know that if a property sold in 2020 for $300,000, it's worth more today. If that same exact property sold three years ago for $300,000, it's worth more today. Simple statement, but you can kind of put this on a, on a chart and you can say, you can extrapolate it. You can say, well, if a property, so if you if your subject property sold in 2006, what would it be worth today? So you can kind of get an idea based on when the property sold and where the market was at at that time to determine what the actual value of that property is. That's one data point. Okay, we don't want the only way, by the way, that I would obsess over that data point 
is if that property sold within the year. At this point in, in my market, the market's pretty much flat from a year ago. If a property sold a year ago for $300,000, it's worth right around $300,000 today. I'm not even going to look at any other data point. That's how powerful that data point can be. Now, again, I want to stress enough that you typically don't, you're not typically looking at a property that sold a year ago, right? But if you are, that's a strong data point. I also want to look at public record. Why do I want to look at public record? I want to look and I want to see what the assessed value of that property is. Almost all of you will know that today in almost every market across the United States that the assessed value is typically lower than the value of the property. And it's almost definitely lower than the value of the ARV of the property. So why is this important? Well, I like to look at the assessed value of a property because there are instances where a, a property is assessed really low or really high and catches me off guard. So there are times where maybe you pull a comp within uh, a quarter of a mile and then maybe that comp says the property is worth $500,000. And then all of a sudden you see the assessed value at six or 700,000. That makes me jump back and go, wait a second, what did I miss? And nine out of 10 times when the assessed value is much higher than I thought, that property's on a lake or that property's on the water or that property's in a cul-de-sac or that property has something that's unique about it that I missed, okay? So all of these data points are very, very important to look at. The opposite is also true. There are times where I run a comp of a property and I think that the, the comp says the property should be worth $300,000. And then I look and the assessed value says it's worth 150. And I'm exaggerating to prove a point here. And when I see the assessed value that low, I go, ooh, what did I miss? And again, nine out of 10 times, I look, and maybe I look on Google Street Scene, or I look at something, and then I see that the property's in an industrial area, or the property's on a highway, or there's something really funky about the property, okay? So the next thing I wanna look at is the Zestimate, okay? Zestimate's important. Um, Zestimate is, is similar to an assessed value, right? Where we know that the assessed value is typically lower than what the property's worth. I would say in general, the Zestimate is worth close to what the property is worth, in general. Very general statement. I know that that probably incites a lot of emotion from people. I know some people hate Zillow. They hate the Zestimate. They think it's a joke. But I, I believe that the Zestimate's the easiest way to find a rough idea of the value of a property in 10 seconds. So when I see a Zestimate really high or really low, it's the same feeling I get on the assessed value where I say, wait, what did I miss? And again, maybe I missed something, okay? So um, all of these things being said, right? I just, I just went over all the stuff in box eight this is why it's definitely an art and not fully a science, because we have to use a lot of different data points. We have to look and say, hey, is there anything we potentially missed or should adjust or anything like that? So I've, I've covered a lot. I've covered a lot. And um, I know that this document is pretty big. It's also probably somewhat confusing to people if they kind of look at, look at it really quick. Again, um, I can't stress enough that like if you're if you're in the inner circle, please take advantage of us doing these for you. And by the way, I will show you guys something like what is the outcome of all of this stuff? Let me just show you the outcome of like when we actually like run one of these. So the rules were just up there. We give each and every one of you one of these analysis sheets which basically shows like what we think that the property's worth. It, it tells you what the Zillow value is. It tells you what the assessed value is. It tells you what the public record is. It gives you a map of the property. It gives you all of the, this is the public record information that we take a look at. It's gonna give you this estimate like I talked about. It's gonna give you the comp, right? This is the ARV comp on this property that we've used. So if you're in the inner circle, 
and you're not sure what ARV comp to use, we're going to give you what we believe our ARV comp is, right? We're going to give you the valuation of what we think it is. Then we're going to also show you something called the five-year street scene. The street scene is important because, you know, while I said earlier today, the best comp for a property is itself, the second best comp for a property is on the same street. So we like to look at the same streets of a property just to get an idea, like, is this like a highly desirable street? Is it not? This all just kind of comes down to like, we're, we showed you guys this deal analysis, analysis sheet, but we don't want to just analyze the deals. We want to actually come up with a value so that we can figure out like if it's a deal worth doing, right? So I want to open this up to any questions that you guys have right now. Um, I know I covered a lot and this is something that keep in mind, like, you know, when I train my VAs and I train my full-time person, Kathleen, to do this, like, this is not something that I gave her this sheet and I gave her a half an hour, you know, presentation or a 45 minute presentation. And she knew how to do right away. This is an art form. This is something that even if you follow the rules and have a system, it's always good to get a second opinion of, you know, somebody that's done 50,000 of these in the past. And I think even if you know how to do this well, if you're going to make an investment in a small multifamily, in a fix and flip, if you're going to wholesale a property, it makes a whole lot of sense to get a second opinion. You may not agree with us, um, with the opinion that we have, but I can tell you that it, we're going to give you something to think about every time that we analyze a property for you. So that's completely free if you're in the inner circle. Again, if you haven't signed up for an inner circle call, go to www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. And again, I'm just waiting to see um, if there are any questions that, that are coming in. Amanda said, um, who do we reach out to um, to get help with this? There's actually a jot form, Amanda, that we fill out. So all that you need to do, send me um, a DM on Facebook and I'll send you the link. And the link, all you do is fill out the address of the property. And within 24 hours, we're actually going to shoot back to you all of this information. So we're going to give you all the information you need within 24 hours of you submitting um, a JOT form. So we have a standard process that we follow. All right, I'm looking at any other questions that are popping up, and I'm not seeing any. Um, so again, last thing, for those of you, again, who haven't registered, just go to www.agentinvestorevent.com. There's much, much more of this. Again, if you found this to be valuable at all, this is what the two-day event in April 12th and April 13th in Woburn is going to be about. It's about the systems that we use in our business. And, and like I said, like I've said this a million times in the past, if I look back to the 15 years that I've been in real estate, um, the biggest improvements that I've ever made are when I've gone to in-person events. And it's one thing to be live here for 45 or 50 minutes. Um, Thomas did ask what the cost is. It's absolutely free. And that's the thing, right? So it's a free event. And even if you're not local, like I, like if you're if you're coming from another part of the country, I've gone to California. I've gone to Florida. I've gone to Ohio, right? Who the heck wants to go to Ohio? I've gone to Dayton, Ohio for two day, two day and three day events that I felt were valuable, right? So my whole point though, from a second ago is that there's something about going to a multiple day event that's much different than tuning into something, you know, live like this. It's two full days of immersion, not just with myself teaching, but with my team teaching. And there's something about just blocking everything else out and committing those two days, and there's something even more powerful about getting on a plane to do it, right? I mean, to drive 15 or 20 minutes, if you live in the greater Boston area or an hour, I give you credit for doing that. But there's something much more powerful about getting on a plane or driving three hours. Like we had people um, last time that drove from like upstate New York, four or five hours to get here. Um, I promise you it's going to be worth it. Like um, Thomas asked, like it's completely free. We're highly invested in making sure that you guys get value out of the event. Um, so, you know, I just ask that if you guys are serious about taking, you know, your investing business to the next level, make sure that you register. Again, 
you know, sales will make you a living. Like you can earn, you know, 50 to $250,000 as an agent, but is that going to get you to become financially free, right? Is that going to be able to get you 10, 20, $30,000 a month in passive income so that you can tell the clients that you hate, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to work with you. Is it going to be able to get you to stop working nights and weekends, right? How many times on a Friday have you gotten a text from a client? Hey, I just saw a property that I want to look at Saturday at eight o'clock, right? That's cool. Um, but you don't want to be have to be a slave to your clients 24-7, 365. I know that's part of the gig of being an agent. And again, I don't I don't discourage people from being agents, but get yourself into a position where at some point you can say, hey, you know what? Like I'm not going to work nights anymore. Or maybe I'm only gonna, I'm only going to work one weekend day. I encourage you guys to register for that event. Um, I appreciate the fact that you guys stayed on with me this long, and we had almost no drop off the entire time. I hope that you guys found it valuable. And again, if you found it valuable, the two day event is going to be much much more impactful. www.agentinvestorevent.com. And keep in mind, for every person that you bring, you can you you get an entry to win a two-day all-inclusive trip to Aruba for free. All the stuff is for free. So take advantage. Don't look, at, don't look a gift horse in the mouth and register today. All right, we'll be back next week with um, another live edition of our live stream. It's every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern and typically a couple of, of days before the live stream. I'll post what it's going to be about. Keep in mind, guys, I listen to your feedback. So if you have something that you want to make sure that I cover, be selfish. Put into the comment section now what you want me to cover, right? Because I don't always necessarily, I can think what I need, what you guys need help with, but be selfish and tell me what you want. And I, I can do a training on pretty much every topic. So again, um, thank you guys. And um, I, I hope to see you at the two-day event and shoot me a message or put a comment below on what topic you want moving forward. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education strategies and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.